can, no one can hear oh, you dancing. Oh, for real. Oh, shit. I didn't see the three, two, one. Oh, oh and you're yeah. Going to bleep no, that was out. Okay, I'm out of practice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like doing my little dance. I was like waiting for the countdown, and then you're looking at me, and I was like, "Oh, we're recording. We're live, and we're live." It's like no one can hear you dancing, Katie. <laughs> oh my god, you figure I'd be a little bit better. Um, you figure I'd be a little bit better at that. I wasn't even looking. It's like, oh no. <laughs> It's the coffee. It's the coffee. I'm on cup number three. It's the coffee. It's we're, the coffee we're, we're supposed to make you more aware. I think it makes me more awake. I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say it makes me more aware. I'm definitely more That's awake. True. You know, because I, I slept in this morning. I slept in for me. You know, I was in bed till yeah. eight o'clock. That's that's yeah. late. You know, part of it was so part of it is my dog right so mm-hmm. I love I, I love my dog. I love Io. She's a great dog, but she's a neurotic mess. So like three raindrops fell last night. And obviously that means the world's ending. So she went ballistic at like 2 a.m. And Brett was on call or he's on call today. So mm-hmm. I didn't want her like screaming and waking him up. So I get up with my dog at 2 a.m. And just go sit in the living room and play video games until five when it stopped raining. And then we could go back to sleep. So I'm a, I'm a little like, you know, my sleep schedule got a little messed up. You know, he never complains or asked me to. <laughs> yeah, but I kind of feel like, you know, your trauma, sur- if you get shot, you want your trauma surgeon to have gotten a good night's sleep the night that before. That sounds important. Yeah. Yeah. Like moderately, <laughs> moderate importance, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, trying to be like a good partner, especially because like right now I'm not working. So it's like I can nap this afternoon. I have a uh, grand yeah. old day of doing laundry and napping. So <laughs> I should be the one getting up with the dog. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like, I know. Yeah, sorry. Sorry for all my working peeps. It's teacher life. It's the summer. Well, I think Sundays should be for laundry and naps. Laundry and naps. Yeah. And like maybe, I don't I'm know, I'm sitting there and like maybe I'm a cauliflower pizza. Super pro nap. Is there anything better than a nap though? No, I love I mean, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nothing's better than a nap. Like I'm so freaking pro nap, man. So, yeah. So, anyway, um, <laughs> now that I've rambled for two minutes about why I didn't see the countdown and about why I'm a little out of it because of my lack of sleep and my lack of call, I'm going to have at least four cups of coffee before the end of this podcast, just so you know. Um, <laughs> it's nice to see everybody uh, or hear everybody. What are we doing? Are we hearing, seeing? I, they can't see us. No, they're, they only hear us. We don't hear them. Oh, shoot. This is a one-way yeah, okay. Well... <laughs> Happy everyone's here or whatever then. Um, my name is Katie and I am not a scientist. <laughs> We're just starting and going into it. Come in. Yeah, let's just let's just do it. My name is Erica and I am a scientist. <laughs> and, this and this is Southern is Science. Southern science. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just gonna be one of those podcasts. Although I will say um, I'm pretty excited. This is my last virtual podcast because the next time we record I'll be at Erica's house. Yay! I'll still be at my house. I don't know how long yeah, it takes to get internet set up. So yeah. yes. if we're at my house, we're sitting by the pool. We're going to record Ooh. outside, you know, and tan while we record. Some of us don't tan. We just turn into lobster people. That's true. <laughs> oh, you know, that would be an interesting podcast episode. Why some people tan and some people don't. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm interesting. I turn this like beautiful golden color. And the problem with it is, is that the second I stop maintaining the golden color, people are like, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I just like, I work and I haven't been outside. They're like, you should get tested for COVID. I'm like, guys, like it's been three days since I went outside. 
Like, no, this so is just my face. Like, yeah. just, this is just my face. Like, good Lord. Be yes. nice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So what are we learning about today? I'm a little nervous about the title. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, color, different colors that some of us might turn uh, when we go outside. Love that transition. Good transition <laughs> here. That was a good one. <laughs> we are talking about camouflage. And the different ways that animals can hide themselves, hide in plain sight, disguise themselves, and then maybe a little bit about uh, other functions that camouflage may serve, and then how humans are trying to learn from that and utilize those those camouflage techniques. Mm -hmm. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to stop you right there. As a Louisiana native, I would just like to point out that we have perfected camouflage. (laughs) Like, it is like a theme it is a yes. wedding theme down here. Yes. Like you can get wedding dresses made in camouflage. You can even get various colors of camouflage, like pink, which mm-hmm. kind of defeats the purpose of camouflage. Well, but I feel like we've gotten that good at camouflage. Mm-hmm. Now it comes in multiple colors. Yes. I yep. mean, like it's a thing here. Like it's an aesthetic. I actually saw a camouflage house. Ooh. Yeah. Or did you? Or did I? Don't, don't, don't. So I wanted to start off by shouting out some of my sources for today's material will come variously from National Geographic, the Natural History Museum, the Giraffe Conservation Foundation, BBC Future, ThoughtCo.com, WorksThatWork.com, and InterestingEngineering.com. So we've got some fun variety of sources for today's. All of that sounds amazing. And I'm going to need you to put that in the chat so I can click on each one of them because works at works.com works that work yes works that work that sounds amazing and like the sort of website i need to play around on okay very good i mean i'm comfortable with camouflage on people like you grew up with that like i mean we had like teachers and that was like their aesthetic was like camo pants you know it's like we're not hunting but okay camo plants but like animals that camouflage themselves not a fan (laughs) not a fan yeah we have definitely grown up with lots of uh, people whose personality was camo. And generally, the purpose of, of camouflage we think of as being to blend in with your surroundings. But there's actually several ways that animals can use camouflage to that effect and then also for other effects. So camouflage is also called cryptic coloration. Oh, that's so much better than camouflage. I know. It sounds very sneaky. And so the the type of camouflage that we normally think of is the category called background matching, where animals have evolved to blend into their surroundings. Yeah. Obviously, the, the most basic of these is, you know, all of the many animals that are brown because it blends in with forest dirt and trees and all that kind of jazz. Like, that's technically... Yeah, and then, like, the, the Louisiana redneck has also adapted this. Um, yes, it comes in different various colors too. So yes, <laughs> you can get like the green camo, the brown camo. You even have like black camo now if you're like night hunting. So yeah, and I okay, so that makes sense. So that's I don't know if that or brown. I knew that. Yeah, right. Squirrels, yeah. all that sort of stuff. You know, makes sense. Okay, the most basic form of camouflage. Okay, a slightly more advanced form of this would be animals that have evolved to have their winter coats be different colors. So think Arctic fox. Yes. They grow a white coat for the winter, so they can blend into the snow, but they have more of a brown coat for the summer uh, when there is no snow to blend into. 
That makes sense. Hares do that too, right? Like rabbits do that? Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot okay. of uh, rabbits do that too. Um, but then you get to the the more complicated colorations. So I'm going to send you a link. A link. I love a good link situation. And it won't be the housing links because Eric and I were definitely looking up housing <laughs> before this. I'm trying to convince her to move next to me. It's not working, guys. I need y'all to send an email or something. <laughs> Underneath a giant list of housing links. Yeah, let's see. What is this? Natural History Museum. Okay, cunning camouflage. Oh, nope. This is the stuff I don't like. Nope, <laughs> this is the stuff I don't like at all. These are animals that don't look like animals anymore. Right. So, <gasps> this is crazy. No. Yeah, so this, I'm going to post this link on our Facebook for sure because they've got a nice slider that lets you see like the animal versus its background. But anyway, so this is an example of animals that really, really blend into their environment. You know, and a lot of this is is things that you've thought of before. It can range from, you know, screech owls or potus, even birds that really blend into like kind of a bark tree effect. Uh, yeah. The same with like moths or we've got some like speckled birds or whatever. And so these really help avoid predators. And so most mm-hmm. of these that we're talking about here are like prey animals that have, you know, they've evolved this because the ones that looked more like their surrounding didn't get eaten and were more likely to pass on their genes. What? The second one on the list, that potu. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to point out specifically because uh, Danny loves potus. They're his favorite bird. They're ridiculous. But yeah, it likes to just pretend to be part of a branch. And so I didn't even see that. So yeah, so a lot of a lot of these involve not just, you know, visual mimicry, but also like physical, like animals have figured out how to like pose themselves to be mm-hmm. the least conspicuous. And we will be talking though mostly about visual stuff today, not mimicking calls. You know, we've talked before about say like fireflies who know how to flash in the patterns of other firefly species in order to be able to trick mates or whatever. Right. Okay. And also when we talk about human stuff, we're going to be talking about visual camouflage and not like thermal camouflage or radar camouflage or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like conceptually, I just wanted to talk about the development of camouflage is not obviously not deliberate it is an evolutionary thing that happens because you're less likely to get eaten if you blend in. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, useful. But sometimes it can be deliberate. And that is where you get to uh, octopi, octopuses, octo- octopodes. I prefer octopodes, honestly. <laughs> yeah. An octopus doesn't play, man. Octopus, like their ability to like camouflage is amazing. Right. So for, for, Octopodes. I'm going to use that one because that's the Greek plural. Love that you know that. Well, in the octopuses versus octopi debate, I think like octopi is like a Latin pluralization, but octo is more of a Greek root. Love it. The Love octopod. It. <laughs> anyway, the reason that they're camouflage is more deliberate is for a couple reasons they have cells in their skin that allow them to change color basically they can consciously expand or contract those different colored cells and cause themselves to 
you know, show more of one cell color than another, and that changes their color. But octopuses can not only change the color of their skin, they can also change the texture of their skin, make themselves look really bumpy, like a rock. And they're also incredibly good at changing their shape. Octopuses honestly deserve their own episode in the future because they're so smart and clever. And some of them are really dangerous. Yes, Oh, uh, blue ring octopus. I've got my eyes on you, little blue ring octopus. Kill people. But he's so cute. Nope. Nope. He's full of murder. <laughs> full of murder. Okay. Blue but yes, octopus are very cool. And I'm watching the shape. So, like, actually, I'm looking at the picture right now that you sent me, and I still uh-huh. don't see an octopus. Every time I draw the, the thing back and forth, it doesn't look like uh-huh. an octopus. It looks like a rock. Yep. He's sneaky. That's crazy. Okay. But also, they can, they're really good at changing their shape. Like, he's he's made himself into a a cone, a shape of a rock. And they can also stick out one tentacle and pretend to be a sea snake or walk on two of their tentacles and pretend to be a frogfish. Or, you know, it's very, very cool. Nice. Love it. And then you get to some of the pictures, like you get to your basic leaf bug, walking stick, katydids or other mantis bugs that hang out on flowers, things like that. So the variety of things that animals have learned or not learned, but evolved to imitate is really remarkable. Mm-hmm. And this is a, an important survival mechanism because predators don't necessarily spot them right away. Like that picture of the lizard, like there's a bug right in front of that lizard. And I don't know if he sees it. No, there's not. Yeah, I was looking. That's very cool. So I have a question and we might be getting mm-hmm. to this in a second, but I'm sitting here mm-hmm. and looking at these. And I'm also just remembering some of the animals I know. And one of the things I'm not seeing, um, I'm seeing my stonefish, which uh, in mm-hmm. case anybody doesn't know, that's one of the reasons I refuse to go to Australia and walk around the beaches is because I'm convinced I'm going to die via either stonefish or uh, box jellyfish. But I'm not seeing things like snakes, pit vipers, anything like mm-hmm. that. And I know those do the same thing. Right. So they they often have coloration that lets them blend into sand or dirt or something or the really um, you've seen the the snakes that are really bright green and occasionally have yellow splotches on them. So that's they blend into trees and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so they're, they're not on this list, but they're obviously very skilled because they look like a branch that you're just going to step on and then it secretly murders you. Yes. Secretly murders you. But some snakes speaking of the murder, (laughs) have chosen to go the opposite route through evolution and not say, I'm going to blend in and be sneaky, but I'm going to be brightly colored and just let you know that if you eat me, you die. So that's less about being venomous predator snakes like some of the ones like the vipers you were just mentioning, a lot of those they're trying to hide because they can sneak up on prey. And otherwise we were kind of talking about how prey is trying to use camouflage to hide from predators. Mm-hmm. Another form of camouflage. I love how you always have a plan and then I'm like, no, Erica, we're not following the plan. I have questions. <laughs> well, it's okay. It's on the list. That's, that's good. So the another form of camouflage is not saying I am secretly part of the background. It's, it's more of a I'm not who you think I am kind of camouflage. So like you said, with snakes, some of them are trying to blend in. Some of them are deliberately standing out because they have been brightly colored long enough that other animals have made an association. I'm not going to eat that brightly colored snake because then I die. From either it being poisonous or venomous, it's never going to end well. To that effect, other animals, then they camouflage themselves not by trying to look like a branch or a tree or a pile of sand. They try to look like the poisonous snake. And so like, oh yeah, I'm totally poisonous. Don't eat me. I'm totally a snake. 
Yeah. I'm definitely a snake. Or say the Scarlet King snake looks like a coral snake. Yes. But that's the whole, you know, red and yellow, kill a fellow, red and black friend of Jack. So that's like, they all are red, yellow, and black snakes, but the patterning is a little different. And, you know, humans have to pay attention. Like, okay, we're going to really figure out what this pattern is. But a lot of animals, they don't take that kind of time. They're just like, oh, don't like those colors. It's like, no, we're just, we're just not going to try to eat this. There's something else that's better to eat later. Right. You know, I know someone who ate those colors and they died. Yeah, it didn't go well for them. It was like, it was a terrible choice. It was a horrible choice. Yep. You know. So that also counts as a kind of camouflage. There's also butterflies. They look very similar to monarch butterflies. So monarch butterflies are toxic to birds that eat them. I did not know that. Interesting. Okay, interesting. So they try to mimic that? Right. There's what they call viceroy butterflies. They look almost exactly like monarch butterflies, but they're not toxic to birds, but they don't get eaten because birds are like, I know what that is. That's, that's not good for me. It's like, don't do that. Nah. (laughs) Right. So that is another completely valid form of camouflage. So the warning coloration of the genuinely toxic animals, that's called aposematism which is a coloration that says like, I am dangerous and it is warning predators as a threat. Fair. Don't eat me. This is a bad idea. Yes. (laughs) So other animals take advantage of that by pretending that they are venomous, I guess. Fair enough. Seems like smart animals. But there's also other ways of using camouflage to pretend to be something that you're not. Think of moths that have eye spots on them. They're trying to say, oh, I'm not a moth. I'm an owl with big yes. eyes. Yes. I'm a giant creature. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Or the spots that tigers have on the backs of their ears that also look like eyes. So other predators will think that the tiger is like actually looking at them, which the question then is what was hunting a tiger that it needed to evolve those eye spots on the back of their ears? Oh, I didn't need to think about that. That's not helpful for me at all. <laughs> what was that for? There was no need for you to say that. Well, it was just okay, something to think about. Life, not thinking about things that hunted tigers. Just something to think right. about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, but, and then another one. Also, speaking of the confusing where are my eyes tactic of camouflage, I would like you to Google Himalayan griffin vulture because they're like normal vultures, but they hunch down into this posture where they kind of hike up their wings a little bit. And honestly, they look like a, they basically turn into this giant Pokemon looking figure, but it looks like its eyes are now these bald patches that it has on its shoulder. So it kind of hunches its shoulders Oh my God. Okay. It took me a second to look at that. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's not a creature I would want to mess with. That is terrifying. It looks, it looks weird. It looks like some big old Pokemon instead of. That is, yes, it does actually. That is terrifying. That is very scary. Okay, super scary. You know, trying to disguise where your your legitimate eyes are so that those aren't attacked first by predators. Mm-hmm. That leads to the concept of disruptive coloration. So that is trying to disguise your shape. When we were talking about the bioluminescence episode, we talked some about fish or squid that were underwater and they would have like these bright stripes on them that weren't actually in the same shape as the animal was. And so it kind of disguised where their edges were and made it 
hard to identify them and then harder to like if something was going to attack it they'd miss the vital oh, organs oh okay so, there's there's something to be said for just trying to not be in the shape of prey, you know, not just not just hiding completely like normal background matching is, but then you get the trying to to change the shape of things. Like sure, there's an animal, but I can't quite tell what it is. Is that food? I don't know. <laughs> is that food? I'm not sure. Let's not mess with it. We have other options. And sometimes this is this is combined with, say, the background matching because there's like walking leaves like Katie did. There are some mm-hmm. species of walking leaves that not only look like leaves so that they can blend into the plant, but they have little scalloped patterns on the backs of their body that makes it look like they've been gnawed on by a caterpillar. It looks like a leaf that's been half eaten. So it makes them look like even more of a genuine leaf. What? Okay. So it looks like maybe that back part isn't there anymore. So you're, you're, you're messing with the edges that predators would normally use to identify their prey. Okay. That's super cool. The most common form of this, like I said before, is um, trying to hide where your eyes are because those are a a soft and vulnerable part of your body. And important, you know, yeah, typically speaking, if you're not designed to be blind, that's going to make your life harder. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think also in some of the marine, one of the marine episodes that we did, we talked about animals that are dark colored on the top and then light colored on the bottom. So that if you see them from above, their dark coloration on the top blends in with the dark lower levels of water. And then if you see them from below, their light belly blends in with the sunlight up above. Like sharks. Sharks have a white belly for a reason. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They're one of the animals that does that. They're dark on top and light on the bottom. Which is smart. uh, Exactly. Or smart of evolution, you know. Way to go, evolution. Sneak up on Good job, <laughs> Way to go, evolution. But land animals can do that too. You actually see a lot of animals that are dark on top and then light on the bottom. And the goal of that is more to uh, disrupt where you'd expect to see shadows. If the lighter part of your body that's hitting the sunlight is darker colored, and then the bottom part that's supposed to be in shadow is lighter colored, when you're actually in the light, you end up looking all one color. So it ends up, it distorts the shadow of a prey body. So that's another way that, you know, if you just can disrupt your outline, that can be one way to not be as visible. Okay. Super neat. Interesting. Okay. And sometimes this disrupting your outline is most effective in groups. Like moving fish? Oh, yeah, that's probably a really good example. Would that be a thing? Like, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. like the moving fish. Like a school of fish that are all shaped weird, and they have stripes or speckles, and then they all fly, you know, swim around each other. My cat is knocking things off. She's behind uh, my computer just swatting at my bottles. But, yeah, no, that's <laughs> the first thing I think of when I think of, like, throwing off predators, is like those giant moving, like, things of fish that are very uncomfortable <laughs> to watch for me, by the way. Like, how do they all know when to turn at the same time? But, yes. Yeah, that... That works until you've got a giant whale that just goes, ha, and just like eats them all at once. (laughs) They're like, I don't care what you are. I eat everything. (laughs) Or dolphins. Yeah, who are like, we're way smarter than you. Have you ever seen a video of whales bubble netting? No. It's really cool. So bubble netting is a pod of whales will get together and find a school of fish and then the whales will start swimming in a circle around the school of fish and blowing air out of their blowholes. And basically they make a perimeter 
of bubbles and then make it smaller and smaller so that the fish kind of get compacted into a smaller region. And then okay, they, cool. then they take turns going down to the bottom and then just like erupting out of the water with their mouths open and just getting a big mouthful of concentrated fish. I think whales and dolphins both do this bubble netting technique, but it's really cool. I've actually seen whales doing it. My family went on a cruise to Alaska. Okay. But I, that's think, I think cool. dolphins also do it, but yeah. Okay, super neat. Camouflage. That's just super like that. That's really neat. Okay. But what I was thinking of with the disruptive outline and being extra effective in a group is zebras. So there's a few reasons that I wanted to do this episode because a lot of it is just like a fact, just talking about the different ways that camouflage works. But two of the kinds of camouflage that have been investigated a little bit more recently is zebras and giraffes. And so those were two that I really wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, I've actually never thought about zebras or giraffes with the camouflage. Um, They're really cute. (laughs) Zebras are black and white. Right. How does that camouflage anything? So for a long time, the theory was that that would help them blend into tall savanna grasses. Okay. But that theory kind of fell by the wayside a while ago. And the theory was that it was disruptive coloration. If you get these harsh lines of black and white, then it's hard to tell where the edges of a zebra are. And then they're in a herd. So they've got all these black and white stripes moving next to each other. And that's really confusing for whatever leopard is off to the side trying to pick out one zebra. Just everything's a mass of moving stripes. It's very confusing. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. In a herd, the disruptive coloration is really effective, is the theory. Oh, okay. I can see how that would be a thing. Because you're like, which zebra is which? Right. It's just stripes. Like, none of the stripes are in the shape of a zebra. And then they're all just zigzagging back and forth. Okay. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. But how does that work with giraffes? Well, I wanted to say there's a newer theory on zebras, though. Oh, okay. Yes, absolutely. Because I, I don't, that would make sense, though. Like, because I mean, zebras aren't like they're horses; they're herd animals. That makes sense. There's a lot of them, right? So you feel like there would be evolutionary pressure to say, okay, if we're all stripy and we're all moving around, then fewer of us overall get eaten. But maybe that works once. There's a lot of them that are stripy, mm-hmm. but there was questions as to whether that's sufficient evolutionary pressure to develop that trait. Right. Okay. And there's a there's a theory that has been proposed more often. And one of the more recent papers that I found on this topic was from the Proceedings of the Royal Society B, published in 2020. The paper's called Zebra Stripes, Tabinid Biting Flies, and the Aperture Effect. And the short version is that there is a more recent theory that the evolutionary advantage of stripes in general is actually that it confuses biting flies. That because of how flies' eyes are with the compound eyes and then they can't move their eyes to focus the same way that we can and they don't... They don't have the same kinds of rods versus cones that we do. So they just vision, like the compound eyes work very differently. They have individual visual receptors instead of rods and cones. They're called omatidia. And each compound eye has like thousands of omatidia. So they have this broad field of vision, but they don't have the muscles to move them and focus them. So whenever they're flying towards something, they're getting a lot of information from all these different visual receptors, but they can't focus as they move. So 
if they're trying to land on something that has really bright alternating patterns, it messes with their depth perception. And so they found that flies can't, it's hard for them to land on zebras is the short version. That's actually super interesting. (laughs) Because of the stripes, they're not sure where to land. And so um, the, the paper that I mentioned, they tested this just with rugs. They used stripy rugs and checked pattern rugs compared to just like normal ones. And they said that the flies avoided landing on and did not approach as close to striped rugs or checked pattern rugs. This is still being debated because they said it's not exclusive to stripes because also checked patterns confused the flies as well. So this is something that's actively under investigation, but there's a, there's a working theory that just because of how their eyes work and what they called an aperture effect of the ability to focus the, the flies compound eyes, that it makes it difficult for the flies to see where they're going. So they slow down, they have trouble landing. If the flies were to carry diseases, then that would be a evolutionary selection for the animals that have stripes to not catch flyborne diseases and die. And so they're able to pass on their genes. That's a current working theory about zebra stripes. Oh my God. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. (laughs) So it's like they became, they they designed stripes because they wanted to avoid mosquito bites. Well, wouldn't you? Zebras are much smarter (laughs) than people, much smarter than people. I would like to figure out how to become striped, please. I mean, technically humans evolved sickle cell anemia to avoid mosquito bites. So like... (laughs) The consequences. Yeah, of- I'm gonna I'm gonna need something else other than that. I'm I'm gonna need us to do a little more than that. I'm I'm not interested in that. Plus, I, it's not mosquito bites. It's whatever the thing that malaria. The, it's malaria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which is forget the fly that carries malaria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. malaria is no fun at all. But instead yeah. of evolving stripes, we evolved sickle cell, which is less fun. <laughs> yeah, much less fun. Much less fun than that. Yeah. So another animal that has been under recent investigation to try and figure out, is their camouflage just camouflage or does it hold even more purpose is giraffes. And I learned this pretty recently and I think it's super, super cool. So this is from the Giraffe Conservation Foundation that was called just like, why do giraffes have spots? And so of course, you know, everyone says it's for camouflage just to try and hide in the tall trees. I don't know how a a giraffe technically camouflages when it's like 20 feet taller than everything else around it. But yeah, you know. that was kind of my question. Like, I mean, so you don't like accidentally miss a giraffe. Right. I mean, from a distance, sure. They, they, they blend in and, and the irregular splotches do help to break up its shape. And so that's, again, one of the main things that camouflage does is not just the coloration matching the background, but also not having a clear outline of a giraffe. You know, if you have a splotchy giraffe versus like if you had some weird solid color giraffe, the second one would be really easy to see. But a more recent discovery about giraffes is that their spots are actually cooling mechanisms. So around each dark spot, there's really large blood vessels. And then all their smaller blood vessels are congregated underneath the dark patches rather than underneath the light patches. So they actually release heat through the dark patches. The patches are like these little thermal release vents that they can cool off from. And so that's what the spots are either originally used for or have evolved to be used for. But apparently they're... Here, I'll send you this link. Yeah, I'm looking up giraffes right now. 
like giraffes. Interesting. Uh, you can see a, a picture of like a thermal imaging of a giraffe. What? Thermal imaging of giraffes. Okay. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool. So, yeah. Into small branches in the middle of the patch in order to release heat through the system. That is fascinating. I guess that makes sense. And with an animal that big, you need to be able to like, you know, release regulate body, body temperature. Yeah. 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 Because I think we've we've talked before about maybe doing an episode on like really big giant animals, like how come kaiju couldn't exist? And one of the things is regulation of body temperature. If you were a large mammal, you'd have trouble cooling. This is one way that giraffes get around that. And that can be problematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Okay, that's super cool. So they release heat through their darker patches. Which is opposite of what I would think, because, you know, I'm always like, God, darker patches get a lot harder, hot, eh, hotter. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm just like staring at pictures of giraffes, which look like giraffes when they're under infrared light. Yeah, it's weird. Because they have the spots. Interesting. Very cool. So, yeah. Camouflage can be, quote, more than meets the eye. I wanted to wrap up by saying, what have humans tried to learn from nature's camouflage? I mean, obviously, we have some things. Camo, the aesthetic of camo. Right, yes. <laughs> the hunting aesthetic is a thing. The aesthetic, yes. The aesthetic of camo. Which can be used for, you know, obviously hunting and trying to hide from deer, which, again, it's kind of hard to call hunting a sport if one team doesn't know you're playing. And there you go. you've set up buffet bars for them and you have <laughs> high-powered weaponry. And again, they don't <laughs> know that they don't know the game. They don't know yeah. the game. Yeah. I mean, as a person who enjoys consuming venison, like, still, like, I understand all of that. It's also delicious. Oh, yeah. You know, but yes, it, it is true. It is hard to call it a sport when it's like no one else knows you're playing except for the person with the guns. Right, like, right. Ah, yeah. You got to tell the other team before it Yeah, goes. you got to, like, send out a memo. Got to send out a memo. You'd be like, this, yeah. this deer corn comes with expectations. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. Put a sign. Maybe the deer will evolve to learn how to read. <laughs> well, they need to so they can read all those deer crossing signs and know where they're supposed to cross the highway. That would be helpful. <laughs> all right. So what have we learned? So other than hunters, I assume that when most people think of camouflage, the group of people they would think the most of would be the army or other military. Yes. Groups. So the use of camouflage in the military is obviously very widespread and Speaking of different camouflage patterns, the army has changed over the years the different styles of camo that they've gone with. So they used to use a really more traditional camo that we think of like with hunter's camo. And then for a while they switched to this really pixelated camouflage pattern that looked really odd. And then now they have more what they call multicam or patterns that are similar to multicam. And they have a variety of colors. I think it's a mixture of like seven different colors that it's actually really good at having them blend into a wide variety of environments. Again, the the idea of that is not only to have the colors blend in, but also it's a very disruptive patterning so that they don't look just like a human shape out there when they're trying to hide. Just disrupting any solid shapes. And that was apparently the original intention behind the weird pixelated patterns. I, do you know the the patterns that I'm talking about? I mean, honestly, if you just Google like pixelated army uniforms, you can see this. I mean, they are like splotches of different color, but the way that they were made. Oh, I know these. I know these. Yes, yeah. I've seen these before. Okay, yes. So rather than having smooth color transitions, they're real blocky. And 
according to the guy who designed it, his name was Guy Kramer. And these patterns were supposed to utilize a, quote, unique fractal approach to camouflage that appropriates repeating mathematical patterns found in nature. So it doesn't look like your nature, but Mm -hmm. the overall composite pattern, like the coloration, be like, yeah, that looks, those are the right style of colors. The only problem is there's not a lot of squares and right angles in nature. So having this built off of squares wasn't as effective as they maybe hoped it would be. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. why they've gone back to more of a smooth patterning with the multicam. Okay. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. But they also learn other tactics for camouflage. And, and obviously that's, you know, there's a lot of very specific training that you get from the military on everything from how to place concealing foliage to break up your hiding spot. You don't want to be just flat land and then you're hiding behind the one bush, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like right, that's not yeah. going to work. But you learn how to place your concealment. Also face paint, you would you know how to do face paint in a way that breaks up the expected structures of the human face. You do an anti-contouring effect. So there's a very specific face painting pattern that back with that uh, disruptive camouflage of just trying to break up your outline so you're not as easy to recognize on site. Okay. But a really interesting version of camouflage that Danny mentioned is actually how they tried to pattern battleships. So most battleships that we think of, I guess, as Americans, we think of just this normal gray, blah, kind of steel gray. And technically that is supposed to be camouflaged. It is supposed to help them blend into the horizon, just this foggy gray, blue-ish color. So the gray battleships are a form of camouflage. But starting back in World War I, I think the British started it. They tried a form of camouflage that's called dazzle camouflage. The old razzle-dazzle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you have to do jazz hands when you do it. Yes. But... Love it. Here for it. I'm going to look that up right now. Dazzle camouflage. Yeah, do dazzle camouflage battleships. Because honestly, zebras are a kind of dazzle camouflage in that, you know, they're using bright colors to break up their shapes. But if you look at a battleship that has dazzle camouflage, it's confusing as heck. So basically, okay. it involves... so who, what is happening? <laughs> what is happening? Well, that's the whole point. You want people to see your battleship and go, what is happening? There because... is no way that's a battleship. Someone is like drunk in the ocean with a big ship. Right, right. Yeah, so I, would the... not remote, I would not be afraid of that ship. Well, it's not just to make it look frou-frou or anything. The point is it that... Does. The... It, it breaks up the edges. You don't see the shape of a battleship. You see all these weird angles and bright colors and bright stripes. And it makes it really hard to tell the distance, the speed, anything that you would be aided by by knowing what the actual shape of the vessel is that visually is, is very disrupted by doing this bright patterning that's got stripes going in all different directions. And like I said, it really messes with where you think the edges of the battleship are. So it's hard to judge distance and speed. And also sometimes they'd paint fake waves on the front of the ship so that it looks like they were going really fast, like breaking the waves. But in reality, they were just going normal speed and not creating a wake. But you you draw on a, it's like drawing flames on your car or something. You know, you just make it look like you're going really fast. 
Yeah. Love that. Okay. Super neat. That's uh, interesting. I wish we were still doing that. Having Dazzle Camouflage on the battleships? Oh my gosh. Dazzle Camouflage battleships. Like, we should go back. I think in an era of mostly radar detection, it doesn't help you as much. But there are, and I I wasn't going to get into it, but obviously now with advanced technology, you have to camouflage yourself from a lot more than just sight. So there's, you know, thermal imaging camouflage where you have to be able to block your body heat either selectively in patches so you don't look like a human shape or just block it overall, trying to protect yourself from radar imaging, things like that. But, you know, we're just trying to stick with the visual that's kind of based on how animals also camouflage themselves. So both the gray battleship of trying to blend in and the dazzle camouflage of just painting yourself brightly colors so you don't know where the edges are, those are all based on things in nature. We learn a lot from animals. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on dazzle camouflage. I'm looking up pictures. Oh yeah, no, it's it's weird when you look oh, at yeah, it. This, like, is, this is messing my brain for me. <laughs> Love it, like super interested in it. You should paint your car like dazzle colors. I'm going so to use that with Brett Chapman and be like, look here, I need some dazzle camouflage. And he's going to be like, what are we doing? I'll be like, we're painting our cars in stripes, man. We're camouflaged. So the cops can't tell how fast you're going. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why the cops can't tell how fast we're going. Zoom, zoom. Which would actually help because I am notorious for my speeding tickets. <laughs> I need some dazzle camouflage. Yep. Which is a joke, because it's never like I'm late to get anywhere. I'm always like at least an hour early. But I have to get there fast, man. Got to get there fast. It's very important. The problem is, is it would help visually, but I don't think it'd help against radar. So <laughs> yeah. We've evolved there, too. Now you get the little police radars. Yeah. They're super Dude. illegal. And you should not have one of those in your car. But we can't. That is a thing. People are oh, yeah. getting them now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yesterday, I don't know what was happening, but I was driving on uh, 220 and literally every half a mile, there was a cop in an SUV on parked on the right-hand side of the road. I was like, you could be next to one and see the next one ahead of you. I was like, why are there so many cops out today? It was wild. It's like, whoa, guys, it's a Saturday. Everything all right? <laughs> Everything yeah, good yet? It was, Everything good? It was something. Oh, man. Okay. So that was super interesting. I'm really, I really, okay. So this is better than I thought it was going to be. I have this thing about animals that are terrifying. I have one more thing. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I know you're, it's like, you got a good wrap up, but I got one more thing. Very last thing I wanted to talk about is humans trying to use adaptive camouflage. Adaptive camouflage being like what octopodes do. So being able to adapt your camouflage to whatever situation you're in. Like a chameleon? Yes, but I also learned that chameleons don't necessarily change color to blend in with their environment. They turn bright colors to warn other chameleons that there is danger nearby. So it is more of a so warning they sacrifice than it is. Themselves. Yes. Oh, that's kind of sad. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Okay. Like they're naturally green that blends in, but when they turn other colors, that's a warning that there's danger nearby. I learned that yesterday. <laughs> Anyway, like octopi do in that they can change what colors they're presenting. You know, they have all the colors in them, but which ones come to the surface changes based on what their environment is and the amount of light and different wavelengths that they're exposed to. So humans are working on replicating that as well. And that's usually if you just look up real life invisibility cloak, you see what the current progress is in that area. So everyone's always trying to create an invisibility cloak. 
So there's been different levels of success at this. Kind of the first way that people tried to do it was having material like fabrics that would combine light sensors that sense the light levels from a background, and then they would heat up a temperature sensitive color changing dye. So basically at cold temperature, there, it would be black and then it would turn see-through and reveal a white colored underlayer when it got warm. And so there would be electrodes that would heat up the dye and make it either turn black gray or completely see-through based on the temperature. And so that was like the early levels of trying to make adaptive camouflage. Problem Which is, is pretty cool. It's really cool, but it only works in black and white. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it is a really cool concept of trying to combine this light sensing technology with color changing technology by using a heat sensitive dye. The more advanced techniques people have tried to do for a while and, and are getting better based on the increasingly uh, miniaturization of technology would require fabric that's embedded with tiny cameras and LED lights that could be able to project a background based on what the background is. It would project that in the other direction and be able to project that in multiple directions. But to me, the problem with that is that the background wouldn't change appropriately with different angles. So that's obviously also still working. And, and that's when oh, viewed from a yeah, single you'd have to be direction. Looking like dead. You'd have to be looking straight ahead. Right. It's like sidewalk chalk art. You know, it only works yeah. from one angle. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's still cool. Yes. And it works if you're at a distance, you know, so everyone's only seeing you from the same basic angle. The most, quote, invisibility cloak that's been the design for a couple of years that people have been working on is trying to combine like tiny cameras and tiny LEDs to be able to just project a fake background. But the more recent version that I saw that I thought was super cool and actually is more of a legitimate camouflage and will probably work in multiple directions, not sure. I wanted to mention this article from Interesting Engineering that was from February of this year. And I wanted to read the quote that talks about how they're developing the new wave of invisibility cloaks, as it were. The new wave. The article says, quote, however, the key to creating a true invisibility cloak may center around metamaterials. These are metal dielectric composites engineered on the nanoscale. The composite structure acts as an array of artificial atoms, enabling electromagnetic radiation to pass freely around an object. The metamaterial guides light around the object it is coating to create the illusion that the object isn't there at all. At the moment, though, that only works for infrared to radio waves. So that end of the spectrum and not That's visible still light yet. cool. It's just like, I guess in the way that fiber optic cables take a light from here and then they let it travel along the length of the fiber optic cable and then put the light out at the other end. This is kind of a similar metamaterial, as it were, that takes EM radiation, which includes everything from radio waves to visible light to ultraviolet radiation and beyond, and just pass it around the object. So that's, that's crazy. a current cloaking device. And that's then, wild. Yeah. So I really like that. That's super cool. That would be good for, you know, maybe at night where you're going to be up against night vision that involves infrared sensors. Maybe not as good for visual camouflage at this point, but would still help protect you against heat vision. And then the other one I wanted to mention was the, quote, quantum stealth which is the prototype material that's been invented by a company called Hyperstealth Biotechnology. And that's a Canadian company. So they've made a material that can also conceal objects from visible light, infrared light, and ultraviolet light. And what they have is, it's a sheet 
where the outside is made up of a bunch of lenticular lenses, which are outward convex lenses. And so it arranges these lenses in, a, in such a way that they create dead spots in your vision. They create overlapping dead spots for what's behind it. And you're not projecting anything. You're just seeing the background at a different place than where the object behind it is. So you're actually looking slightly off to the side. You don't think you are because you think you're looking straight through this material. You think it's like a translucent material, but the material is actually adjusting where the wavelengths of light are passing through it just enough that you're seeing a background and not the object that's directly behind I the am screen. getting some James Bond vibes there. Okay. Yeah, the, What's the, the article price tag on one of those. I uh, I don't not know. Not listed. Are... I'm sure it's not yeah. listed. These I'm sure are it's prototypes. Like, sell me both so of like... your kidneys. Yeah. yeah. If you give me both of your kidneys and your liver, you can have it while you bleed to death. Yep. Oh my god. That okay. That sounds cool. What's it called? Ultra quantum. Quantum stealth is the name. Quantum, quantum stealth, stealth. is the name of the material that they've developed. The company is Hyper Stealth Biotechnology. Okay, uh, I'm looking yeah, at so pictures that, of it, and this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Okay, this is so cool. So yeah, it's really cool. You you think you're just looking straight through, and it's because of how the light. They're basic. It's similar to the meta material taking in light and just moving it around an object. It doesn't go around the object. It's just a thin sheet. It's the invisible. It's an invisibility cloak. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really really cool. Okay, this is. I know, I know. I'm not explaining it right, but it's. Yeah, I highly recommend really everybody cool. go look it up. This is the like if you've ever read Harry Potter, this is the invisibility cloak. Yeah, so I'm going to post some different. Oh, Erica, that's links so cool. on it. So this is kind of where humans are taking the adaptive camouflage. Uh, we're we're not up to octopus level yet. No, but we're working on it. Octopus has us beat, man. Yep. Oh, this is so cool. Well, they're awesome. Except for the blue one, because it eats you, because it, like, poisons you dead. Oh, but they're so it, cute. Well, it doesn't poison you. It's it's venomous. It's venomous. It's yes. not poison. Yes. See? Yes. I that. See? I, I pay attention Yay. when you talk. I pay attention <laughs> when you talk. See? I learn things. I learn science. That's the goal. Okay. Yeah. Super cool. Super here for that. Okay. Now I want an invisibility cloak. How much, how much is a quantum spell? Yeah, good luck. It just comes up with an infinity sign. Right. It's going to be like, don't worry, you can't afford it. Let's see. Uh, see, it's not even optional. You can't even buy it yet. People are like, oh, you yeah. can't. Oh, wait. And then there's this one really sketchy website that's like, get it for $31. And I'm like, no. No, I feel I like that's so. not right. That's not right. Nope. They have oh, some crazy. videos. Go to like hyperstealth.com. Oh, so cool. Okay. Such a cool thing. Very glad we did that. So that is interesting. You know, I guess I don't, whenever I hear camouflage, you think of like where we grew up, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, camo as an aesthetic, but I guess, you know, I mean, I, you know, you said the military and things like that. And now we have like the visibility cloak. It's like, Hey, camo has its place outside of like, you know, weddings and boots, <laughs> you know, yep. that's interesting. Okay. You got anything else for us? Nope. That was kind of the overview I wanted to cover. Which is fine because I'm fairly sure everybody turned off the podcast at this point is Googling how to buy a Harry Potter invisibility cloak. <laughs> Quantum stealth. Fascinating. Okay. I really want one yeah. of those. He said, I don't know much about it. That's why I didn't explain it very well, probably. But that, that article was, you know, from earlier this year from like uh, five months ago. So I don't know if there's been any yep. advancements. 
but uh yeah i mean i'm, I'm I, just gonna be honest like then, why I, over quarantine like i kind of knitted like half of a scarf and someone's out there that made an invisibility <laughs> cloak and i'm just i'm having some serious like you know downing on myself right now nice. so i was like let's see if we can make people disappear and i was like well i mean i lost five pounds so <laughs> it's the same thing it's the same thing so oh my god super interesting all right so what's your mental health minute this week i think mine's pretty similar to to last week just because that's what I'm still working on is just remembering to take care of yourself and don't put up with people who don't appreciate you is really, really the short version. I've had several interactions lately where I've um, had the opportunity to do favors for friends such as Katie and actually being appreciated for that instead of just having people demand more of you all the time is has been an incredible uh, change and surprise. So made me very glad that I've ended some really terrible friendships. Ta-da! Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Boundary setting is huge and it's hard, but mm. man, once you get the taste of it, when you're like, oh my gosh, I can require standards and friendships. You're like, Whoa. yeah, it's, it's, it's been intense. really hard because, you know, you feel like a jerk whenever you have to cut someone out of your life, but then you just start realizing how much easier your life is without that person. So, you know, so nice just boundaries. So nice. I know it's, yeah, I know it's kind of the same as last week, but that's, it's a good one. Just something as I increasingly realize how much easier my life is without being bothered. So it's a good one. Yeah. It's a good yeah. one. I'm going to kind of follow up on that with appreciation a little bit. And this was not a situation with me. It's a situation I observed with someone that I, I, not going to go as far as to call a friend, but an acquaintance. And I'm going to just go out there and kind of um, say that if you're asking for a service or if you're requesting a favor from someone that, you know, has a specialty in something, pay that person, Yeah, pay working people. You know, Mm -hmm. I I had a a situation this week with like an art situation with a friend of mine that's an artist and another Mm -hmm. um, mutual acquaintance who wanted uh, her to perform these services for free we kind of had to have a discussion about that. And that's um, if you are requesting an item or service from someone to pay that person, whether that's babysitting services, art services, my hair is always some crazy different color, pay people, pay mm-hmm. people for the work they're doing. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of following up on the whole like appreciation thing, like check your mental health and make sure you're like, you know, sensitive to other people's, especially if you're asking that person to put themselves out for you. Yeah. That, that's wonderful. Yeah. I've, uh, seen so much online lately whereas people like trying to get wedding stuff for free it's like hey why don't you come take pictures for my wedding for exposure it's like no or i see that you're crocheting this beautiful object you should give it to me for free and then i should also get like a finder's fee if i tell other people who want it my wearing it is advertising so yeah like, some people blow my mind like how yeah it's crazy it's like, oh yeah. my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. But yeah. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, so. I mean, and I have fine doing favors for people. It's just, I've learned that maybe I should uh, respect my time a little more. And that's the thing. Yeah. Respecting your time and then also understanding that if you have a specialty in something, I'll give you an example. I'm paying you to watch my cat because I know you know cat psychology and I'm introducing my cat into a brand new house and I don't want to have to introduce my cat to the brand new house. I'd rather pay you to introduce her to the brand new house for two weeks because I don't want to do that. I want to go on vacation. And you're going to be feeding, watering, and cleaning my cat's litter box in a new space. 
that she's never been before. And my cat does not react well to new spaces. So I am paying you to perform that service for me, even though we're friends. It has nothing to do with our friendship. And that was wild to me. I was like, wow, you don't have to do that. I'd do it for free. And like, uh, go into the store for you. Your husband was so nice. Like, oh, we have to take you to dinner for, you know, going and signing our paperwork. I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, because Erica's the OG. She, like, Brett and I both had work, so she left during her lunch break to go sign for our furniture being moved into our new storage facility. (laughs) Like, like, ran over and signed all of our paperwork for us. No, it was a nice thing to do, and that's the thing. When people, you know, go out of their way and inconvenience themselves for you, there needs to be a form, like, a level of appreciation there, right, On um, Mm -hmm. on the asking party side. Like I said, I'm paying you to watch my cat because I would pay... I pay people to take care of my animals because like I have standards for my animals. Like I want you to, I don't want you to just open the door and throw food at her. Like I want you to spend time (laughs) with her. And I'm, so I'm paying you for the time I'm asking you to spend with my cat, even though most of it's probably going to be you sitting on one side and her judging you. That's fine. You know, she needs to judge people. (laughs) Yeah. She needs to judge people. It's like a thing she needs. So it's like, yeah, appreciate, you know, appreciate your friendships. If you want to maintain them, appreciate your relationships with people. If you want to maintain them. Yes, that's a good moral of our for our mental health minute. Good mental health minute. Yeah. All right. So, um, do we have any shout outs this week? Anything we need to do a shout out for? Just our normal thanks to Grandpa for our uh, intro and outro music. If anyone wants to contact us on the social meds, we're Southern Science Chicks. Also, like Southern Science is the name of the page, but you have to search us under Southern Science Chicks on both uh, Facebook and Instagram. And then Southern Science Chicks at gmail.com if you want to email us with any episode suggestions or just to chat about any episodes or in general uh, questions, comments, concerns. Yeah. Yeah. Always happy to look for emails. Right now, Instagram's mainly who's emailing me, but I'm open to getting more emails. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) instagram is always like do you know someone's logging onto your account i'm like yes yes that's erica she's the founder of the podcast she's allowed to get on the instagram (laughs) that's why she's allowed to have that man she's allowed to do that so yeah okay so we will see everybody (laughs) and um, it'll be three weeks because i'm going on vacation because my husband's graduating but then eric and i will be recording in person yay so yeah all right we'll (laughs) see everybody in a few weeks bye everyone bye Do you ever tell the friends we knew that you remember me?